I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Bonus edition. Yes, this is the bonus edition, you guys. You know how it goes. You write in questions or comments for us to respond to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we just tell you about them. So here we go. Do you want to start with the first question? Let's do it. So this is a question from Renee C. And she asks, you talked about allergies a few episodes ago, but why do bug bites itch? Oh, Renee, thank you for asking this. I'm so sad I forgot to include this in the episode. But essentially, many, I don't want to say predators, but creatures that Mm -hmm. will bite or attack us have basically optimized our sensitivity to histamine. And that is in their stingers or bites or whatever, Mm -hmm. or whatever they put into your bodies triggers the release of histamine. And that's why they itch. And they've just weaponized histamine. And I had that written down in the episode notes and I forgot to say it. So thanks for asking. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, I was bummed. But yeah, they basically made a weapon of histamine, which I think is crazy. Wow. That is nuts. (laughs) Dang, good question. And why we're itchy. (laughs) And then this next question is more of a statement. It's from Caiba, a PhD student from Brazil. And he wrote us to explain a little bit more about histamine. So he said, histamine is mainly produced and stored in a cell called a mastocyte, which has the H1 receptors that bind to the antibody. This is a special antibody, IgE, usually different from the ones that combat viruses or bacteria. IgM, then IgG, are the ones that do that. IgE is related to the response against big things like pollen or worms. I believe that IgM can also trigger the H1 receptors, but not as strongly as IgE, but I'm not sure. I think I only sort of understand, but it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I when he sent this, I had to ask a lot of questions because biochemistry is above my pay grade mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe just my same pay grade, but two slots over. <laughs> mm-hmm. So essentially, I think what he's saying is that the release of histamine is triggered by this IgE, mm-hmm. which is the thing that binds the pollen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Kaiba. He also sent a little memo so that we could try to pronounce his name right. So we really did our best. But thank you so much. I thought that was really interesting. And yeah. I love hearing more. I always want to hear from other people who have different fields of expertise because it can give a depth to our episodes that I can't give. So I mm-hmm. was really thankful for that. Thank you so much. Kaiba also asked, I've got a question about the jellyfish sting. Since one of the ways to prevent a worse outcome is to denature the proteins in the organelles, wouldn't alcohol be a good resource to, to use in that situation? Like everyone has a hand sanitizer with alcohol in it nowadays. It would also disinfect the wound. I know it would hurt, but just for a brief moment. So I don't know the answer to this. And I also called up on my sister and she said, I don't know. I do know that alcohol can denature proteins, Mm. but WebMD says that the meat tenderizers, the scraping of the stings off are all home remedies and you shouldn't try them. Got it. Okay. I definitely wouldn't try it with anything that wasn't a high percentage of alcohol because otherwise you're going to get that osmosis situation. Oh, I see. So, but probably better to stick with the tried and true research approved hot 
enough water, mm. salt water from the ocean, or vinegar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got it. We also got another jellyfish comment. This was from my brother, Anthony C. He had a very intense jellyfish sting where he was wearing some scuba gear and it kind of got caught under it and was held onto his back and it hurt very badly. I remember him oh, yikes. coming out of the water and screaming, like uh-huh. yelling in agony. Like he is a sea monster. He emerged from the water and was like, yikes, dude. Ah, as he was emerging. That's crazy. And he said at that time that being stung by a jellyfish felt like being stabbed by a million needles over and over. And that's kind of what's happening. He felt so justified when he listened to the episode. (laughs) Dang. Wow. That is crazy. That makes sense. Yeah. Hearing that, hearing more about how that works and hearing the description of being stung by a million needles or whatever makes total sense and sounds horrible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I've never experienced that and I really don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. Dang. This next question is from Drea, and she asks, why does water affect different people's hair so differently? Drea, that's a great question, and I think what it comes down to, honestly, is intermolecular forces. So, just like so many things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hair is made up of atoms, and different people's hair, different textures of hair, are going to have a different chemical makeup. It'll pretty much be the same thing, just probably a different arrangement of atoms would Uh be my suspicion. And so I think different atoms would allow the water to bind differently. You know, some will be more available for hydrogen bonding intermolecular forces. Some would be less available for that, depending Mm -hmm. on the arrangement. And so that makes me think that it's about intermolecular forces and the different atoms that make up different textures of hair. Ah, interesting. That kind of throws me back to that, you know, curly hair episode we did forever ago. Right. I haven't thought about hair um, chemistry in a long time. Yeah, I really appreciated that question. I thought it was a really thought-provoking one, but there's not just a ton of research on that kind of thing, about why water interacts with different hair differently. So I just wanted to give a quick my best guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. This next question is also from Renee C. from earlier, and she asked, what kind of coffee do you each drink? Do you want to go first? That's a great question. I feel like you're going to have the better answer. So <laughs> I'm just going to say... I drink different kinds of coffee. I mix it up. I do like that Dalgona coffee. It's like foamy and easy mm. and kind of fun. It almost feels like a latte because it has that smoother consistency from the air bubbles. Uh-huh. I like cold brew a lot. Mm-hmm. My husband made me a an iced pour over or something today that was really good. Mm-hmm. Basically, I like any kind of coffee as long as... It's not bitter. I want a smoothness and a not bitterness to it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the kind of coffee I like. Probably cold brew is my favorite. It's the least bitter. Uh-huh. And so that's probably up there. But also I will say it's been cold in the mornings, which is weird in Texas in the summer. Mm-hmm. And I've been working out there to write in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted a hot cup of coffee. So I finally broke down and learned how to use a French press. Nice. Which Jam has been trying to get me to do for a hundred years. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. It's one of the most classic ways. And it's hard to mess up. That's cool. Very good news. So I do all kinds of different methods of brewing coffee lots mm-hmm. of times. But the best way to answer this is to say that I always, I only ever drink single origin uh, coffees, uh, meaning they come from one specific farm in a specific country 
they don't get mixed in with other coffees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always roast my own beans, which is very, you know, um, extra. So very extra. I, the, what I'm drinking right now today while we're recording is an Ethiopian coffee from this region that's called Yergashef. It's pretty famous. It's got a lot of really good coffees from there. And the farm or the specific kind of area in that region is Chelel, Cheleli, something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it, but C-H-E-L-C-H-E-L-E. Very cool. And it's a naturally processed coffee. So it's one of the oldest ways of processing it where they just let it dry, uh, the, the coffee beans with the fruit still on them. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, that's what I've been drinking this morning. But I also, I like hot coffee. It's my favorite. I usually start every day with a cup of hot coffee, but mm-hmm. I also like cold brew and also like iced pour overs mm-hmm. um and i kind of brew coffee lots of different ways a lot of different times yeah so just to keep it crazy keep it fun i will say my husband likes those single origin ones has a coffee subscription and he generally favors colombian coffees uh-huh and i will say of the different kinds i've had the fruitier ones versus the Colombian is more of like a traditional coffee. Uh-huh. It's kind of what I think of it like. Yeah. I do favor that one over the more fruit uh-huh. notes. Uh-huh. That's my preference. Yeah. Nice. So there's way more about our coffee than you ever needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> the next question I want to ask, it's also from Renee C. She just sent us a bunch of fun icebreakers and we didn't get a ton of questions this week. So that's why I went with this. Uh-huh. She asked, what is your favorite Harry Potter plot hole? That bothers you the most. Mine is that Harry, this is her answer. Mine is that Harry didn't just Osseo the Murado's map when he was on the stairs in the fourth book. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe it was would have been suspicious for that thing to be flying through. But I will say, I don't know, Jam, if you love Harry Potter or not. I kind of feel like maybe you don't like it. No, I don't love it. But I don't hate it. <laughs> That's unusual for you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm... A little more negative than neutral about it. Okay, good to know. Well, one of my plot holes is I swear the first time I ever read the first book, it said that the the sorting hat stool was three-legged, and then later on I think it became a four-legged stool. Oh, interesting. But a better one is in one of the books, Hermione has a time turner so she can take all of her classes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And she talks about how she's just exhausted all the time. But why doesn't she use the time turner to freaking take a nap so that she has time to do all her studies and sleep? Good point. I, I don't understand that. It drives me crazy. That would be one of the number one priorities is that she should be able to rest mm-hmm. with her extra time so that she can get all the stuff she wants to get done. done. That's a very good point. It drives me crazy. Oh. I just love sleep. So that's probably why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I'll say that is not going to be popular at all is that being outside of those books and movies for a long time, mm-hmm. and then, I'm sorry, Renee, I have not read them. I only saw the movies. My wife made me watch them a couple years ago. Um, but one of the plot ho- holes, I'm doing air quotes, that as an outside observer that ended up then bothering me is that Harry and Hermione didn't end up together at all, and they were never a thing. They were really close but never a thing. And I'm like, Ron, are you kidding me? (laughs) So that's a massive plot hole. Hermione (laughs) is awesome. Harry is awesome. Ron is less than awesome. But Ginny is also awesome. Sometimes awesome people don't end up together. Okay. 
That's true, but they were awesome and had a really close platonic relationship, which I sometimes feel like that's a great, that's the great makings of like a really good romantic relationship. If it's already really close in a platonic way, um, mm. to me, that seems like it doesn't have to be, but anyway, they were cool. And I was, as a new person to <laughs> the story, that was one of the earliest frustrations I had. I was like, what is happening? Why are they not ending up together? <laughs> I think... I read somewhere that J.K. Rowling felt like maybe she went wrong, but the person Harry ended up with is really cool too. Mm. So whatever. Anyway. um, Uh, Speaking of Harry, (laughs) this next question is from Harry B. And he asks, what is your favorite chocolate bar? Okay, no problem. I love Ghirardelli chocolate. Mm. The one that's filled with raspberry, dark chocolate, raspberry, or dark chocolate sea salt, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or just plain dark chocolate. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's really smooth. The best chocolate I've ever had in my entire life, and I just think about it sometimes, was when I was in Switzerland. And Mm. we went to a chocolate show, and they had all these chocolates. Every chocolate shop we went to in Switzerland was amazing. Interesting. Okay, okay. I immediately, I like dark chocolate, and I've had some nice dark chocolates before. Mm -hmm. When I first read this question, I just thought of like the more, uh, what you call it, I, don't, I can't think of a better word than... Like candy bar? Yes, candy bar. Like novelty, mm. you know, gimmicky, whatever. And so what immediately came to mind was I love Reese's. We talked mm. about that. We talked about chocolate. Mm-hmm. But if I had to go with a, a chocolate bar, a candy bar, chocolate bar, like you'd think the classic get, like get at the convenience store, drugstore or whatever, I think I would have to go with Milky Way. Oh, that is a solid choice. I love yeah. Milky Way. It's just it's just good. It's classic. It's yeah. so solid. So. In my old age, when I was younger, I definitely would have gone Milky Way. But in my old age, Snicker ha- Snickers has been mm. coming in yeah. closer to the top. But I don't crave a candy bar very often. Oh, me neither. I cannot tell you the last time I had one. But Milky Way and yeah, I like Snickers too. But for some reason, Milky Way's always had a soft place for me. I also love space. So I think as a kid, that seemed more interesting yeah. to me to be called Milky Way and just know that that's just very kind of just loosely connected to space. I did also like Three Musketeers, but it also kind of felt like you were losing out on something. Mm-hmm. You're getting a little bit like the short end of the stick because you're mostly eating puffed air chocolate instead of yeah. the solid sensation of a Milky Way or a Snickers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Well, thanks so much, Harry and Renee and everyone else for all your questions. That was really fun. Please. We always love these. We love icebreaker questions. We love mm-hmm. silly and serious questions. Mm-hmm. And I also want to thank our Ko-Fi supporters. So our monthly supporters and people who have given to us this month are Stephen B, Jacob T, Christina G, Chelsea B, and Hunter R. Thank you so much. We literally could not do this show without you. And those of you who have joined our Ko-Fi as monthly um, subscribers and giving us a coffee or two or three or whatever you decided every month, we will be sending out a thank you note and we'll be getting all those out by the end of July. So wherever you are in the world, you will be receiving one. We're going to find a way to get it to you. If you have not already sent us your address, please do that through Ko-Fi. There's a private message feature. So yes, use that. You can use that. And we'll be sending that to you as well as an exclusive sticker. And we'll be reaching out to y'all to, to give you a little bit of a sneak peek about what that looks like. So thank you guys so much for for not only donating and helping cover the cost of the show, but being willing to do that on a monthly basis. That's really cool. And that's so helpful for us. So we really, really appreciate it. That's right. It literally helps us keep this show going. 
This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. And we'd like to give a special thanks to E. Robinson, who reviewed this episode.